as women, we're kind of almost encouraged to be complacent and just take what we get. And But we actually are amazing. Women are amazing. We are mothers. We're workers. We, you know, we support other people. We are really a rock for so many people. But we should never allow that flame and that fire in us to be diminished and never be accepted. Hi, welcome back. Long time no hear from. I know I've been a little MIA, but I do have several shows that I'll be uploading very soon. Um, this last semester, these last few months uh, of spring have just been very, very busy, but I have been recording. I have some amazing interviews coming up, and uh, one of the most exciting interviews I've done, I'm uploading right now. It's with Commissioner Myra Uribe. She's the Commissioner of District 3 in Orlando, Florida in Orange County. And we had a conversation a few weeks ago that was just so amazing and so inspiring. Uh, I just wanted to put this up right away. Uh, I, I've edited this audio and in my second and third listen of it, I've been so inspired. There's so many nuggets in there. Uh, and I just, I know that it will be very helpful to anyone who's looking for an extra boost of inspiration. She's so vulnerable and open and willing to help and willing to share her story. Uh, I know that it'll be useful to, you know, anyone who hears it, the folks who listened to it as I was editing it were inspired and it sparked so many great conversations. So I'm excited to have you listen to it. Uh, without any further ado, here's the interview. Welcome. Good morning, Mark. Thank you for joining me. Appreciate it. Good morning. It's great to be here. Now, I have a few things in front of me with your bio, but I think it'd be interesting to have you introduce yourself and tell me what you would want the listeners to know about you. It is so great to be a county commissioner, newly elected. I just am turning four months into my position tomorrow. But more than anything, I am representing the community that I was born and raised in. And this means a lot to me because I'm a first-generation American. My dad is Colombian. My mom's from Argentina. But my parents met in New York in English class and moved to Orlando in 1972 because my dad was a civil engineer. So he went to work for what they call Martin Marietta, which is now Lockheed Martin. And my mother was a special needs teacher. I was born and raised here, got to grow up here, got to go to local schools, college, and now I'm married and I'm raising my own children in this amazing community, the same district that I represent. So for me, it's an honor. What made you stay? Most people move away. This is a very transient state, and Central Florida has, you know, a lot of new people moving and coming and going with universities here. What made you say this is my kind of forever home here in Orlando? Well, honestly, things happen for a reason. I actually went to school here, graduated from Oak Ridge High School, and got accepted to some great universities abroad. But my mom didn't allow me to move. I'm an only child, and my mom suffered from some health complications, which I don't want to say forced me to stay here because I think everything really does happen for a reason. I was her caretaker for most of my adult life until she passed away, and I would never trade that for the world because my mom is my hero. I am where I am because of my mom. I am who I am because of my mom. And I love this community. One of the best things about having immigrant parents is that when my parents came to this country, they believed in the American dream. You know, this is, you got to imagine, this is 50 years ago. Anybody came to this country could have the American dream. They came, they worked, they had a family, they bought a home. They were very successful in what you call terms of the American dream. And 
they raised me to care about my community. So as a young age, actually, I remember my first campaign I ever worked on, I was 11 years old. I did everything from the juvenile diabetes, bikeathon to Girl Scouts, to you name it. When you talk about embrace our society, that's what I did. So I love my community. I've been a church member my entire life where I was baptized, first communion, married, baptized my children, still attend now as with my husband and two kids. So when you talk about home, this is home for me, and I don't have any regrets. I really don't because I met my incredible husband here. My children are here, and there's not many people who can say they're from Orlando. A funny little tidbit is I've only moved once in my life, and that was a house I was raised in to the house I bought with my husband 15 years ago. In your bio, that struck me because I'm also a native of Orlando. So, and it's rare to me. And I thought that was very interesting. Of some of the decisions that lead to you deciding to stay, I can also relate to. Of enjoying where you're from and seeing the work that you can do where and, and give back to the community that gave so much back to you, you know? I can, I definitely relate to it. I'm wondering, because we met, you attended a nonprofit session put on by Orange County government on a Saturday citizenship series that they do. And several speakers, you were not on the program, but you were giving great feedback that led me to want to ask you more questions about nonprofits specifically. I thought, well, where did that depth of information come from? And you had said briefly when we spoke that, you know, you'd worked in the nonprofit field and hearing you mention that you were a lifelong caretaker and you were active in volunteering since you were a child. Is that what led you into deciding to work and be so heavily involved in the nonprofit as an adult? That is an amazing question. Um, because I have always been active and I have loved my activism and I try to teach my children that. Sometimes I force my daughter and the force I mean loosely, but I encourage her to be very involved. You know, she's been a brownie. She does neighborhood cleanups for me. We just recently, actually over the weekend, my husband and I hosted the Miss Florida wheelchair pageant and I had my daughter involved in that because the world is not black and white. There's so many facets to it. But what I did realize growing up is as much as I did, I only can impact what happened around me so much. Getting involved, being part of organizations and nonprofits, it was great. But there were changes that needed to be made and things that I weren't satisfied with my own government that I said I just can't sit back and just be that activist. I have to help define and change things to be better. And that was really the encouragement to run because I got frustrated. I got frustrated with seeing what was going on in my community, got frustrated at always having to call my elected officials and not getting those results, calling code enforcement, calling the police, just pushing, pushing. I mean, I've rallied in Tallahassee for public education. I've done pretty much everything you can imagine for women's rights, for everything. And we're all just part of that movement. But really, we need to be part of the change makers. And that was what really encouraged me to run is I said, I'm not satisfied with what I see, so it's time that I become the change I want to see. When you started working with U.S. Senator Bill Nelson, was you working with him a step toward you deciding, I want to be more involved with the political system and in, in, in governance? I've worked on a lot of campaigns. My first official paid campaign was 1996 when I was a youth coordinator for the Bill Clinton Alpha presidential campaign. And I was in charge of going into universities and high schools and registering young people to vote. I won't lie to you. I caught the bug. I got the opportunity to meet the president on my birthday that year. Um, they picked 10 college students from around the state of Florida, and I was one of them. And wow. I traveled down to the University of Miami and met him on my birthday. And I said, 
this is how America happens. You know, I was I was really caught up. And after that, I ended up working on almost every election cycle every two years after 96. In 98, I worked for the governor's race, which I worked for Buddy McKay, who was a lieutenant governor running against Jeb Bush. We weren't successful. In 2000, I worked for the Al Gore, Bill Nelson campaign. It was a coordinated campaign. And, of course, the president wasn't successful, but the senator was. To my surprise... When the senator won, you know, we thought, yay, he won. It was great. I received a phone call a couple of weeks after the election, and so the senator would like to know if I was interested in coming to work for him. And that was amazing. And I said, absolutely. And it was real. I got to help so many people, and these were federal issues dealing with military and veteran affairs, with transportation issues, with immigration, State Department issues. But one of the most, you know, moving things is I worked for him doing FEMA work during Charlie. Charlie Hurricane in 2003, we directly got to see and help people who were in need. And that was major for me. So um, I won't I won't lie. I did kick the bug. I love I really, really loved politics. And he gave me a wonderful opportunity. And actually, in 2010, I ran for office the first time. And I, um, I ran for the same position that I am in now. And I was not successful, even though we are in what we call nonpartisan elections. There's no such thing in the real world. Okay. <laughs> um, I I think it's it's humorous that we one party or another likes to do nonpartisan elections to help benefit them. But I ran in 2010, and although I won the primary, I was in a runoff. And even though it was a nonpartisan race, I'm a Hispanic woman. My husband's an African American, and we were tagged Democrats. This was 2010, and it was the anti-Obama year. That was the year that Marco Rubio got elected, Rick Scott got elected. And really, it was the year of the Republicans. Kind of like now what we're seeing, the blue wave, it was the red wave. So after that, I said, this was so hard. I'm not doing this again. I'll never run for office again. I'll just stay being active. And that's when I really turned my career into nonprofit. Because I said, I still want to help. I want to be involved. How do I do that? And I, I ended up doing it in the nonprofit world. And I was actually really good at raising money and organizing events and doing public relations. But soon enough, that bug called me again because I didn't like what I was seeing. Something unusual happened in my life. At the age of 43, I found out I was having another baby. And that was never in my career plan. Yeah, 57 days, I was on uh, mandatory monitor bed rest. And I tell you what, Shane, I had nothing to do but think. Think about all the things that I didn't do. Think about the things that I was too scared to accomplish. Think about all the things I still needed to do. And I, I tell people, all I did was pray and think every day. And my son was born, and he was healthy, and I came out of this stronger than ever, but I also had a lot of time of reflection and seeing how I was frustrated again. You know, what motivated me eight years ago was pushing me again. And having my son that old and getting through that, and um, it was my motivator. And I said, I'm going to run for office. And this time I did it with a seven-month-old baby, so that was even easier. But I was focused. I was determined. I was passionate, and I knew what I wanted to see. And um, yeah truly believe my blessing came at the time that God thought it was right for me. Yeah, timing is everything in politics mm-hmm. and in life, absolutely. You've navigated an interesting space because a lot of the work and the people that I speak with are either in politics or they're in the nonprofit space. Some are, you know, government workers, but it's interesting to hear you navigate through all of that because especially when at this moment there's a lot of younger people I 
this show's audience is a lot of millennials and Generation Z kind of folks. Wider, I hope, but that's really what the core is. And so a lot of people at that space and that age group are trying to figure out in the last few years what role they can play locally in their neighborhoods and how they can impact. And a lot of it is through volunteerism, trying to find causes that they feel they can impact. And then from there, finding their way into politics, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I care about this issue. I care about this issue. I'm volunteering. And then I see I can't really impact this in a real way unless I engage the political system in my area. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like you've had a similar kind of trajectory where most people don't seem to go is thinking, I'm going to now run for office. And that leap for, as you say, a woman, uh, a mother, wife, Hispanic woman, all of these different things, what, from your experience, are a couple lessons for people who are trying to figure out whether to take that next step? I've had the opportunity, because of the role that I'm in, to be requested to speak at certain events. And I tell my story. Look, I don't make it glorified. You know, I didn't come here in a rosy little, you know, glass and everything just happens for me. I struggled. First time I ran, I had only been married for seven years. I had a five-year-old daughter. It was tough. It takes a financial strain on you. But I want to say the biggest thing that I learned out of that first experience is that you get to learn who you are. You have to know who you are because... Everyone, and I mean this in the best possible way, everyone will judge you and almost make you wonder to question who you are and what you stand for. It is a difficult process because it is a process where people judge you and they don't even know you. Yeah. And so I tell people you have to know who you are and you have to be able to identify, accept who you are, and move forward with this. But I also, when I meet women, because I will be honest, there are a lot of amazing groups out here. They're like, yeah, yeah, you should run. We're here for you. We're going to help you. But you really need to know what that step means because it's not that easy. It's not like you just show up and you run and here we go. There's a lot out of it. And I always tell people, you need to be strong with your personal relationships, whether it's a significant other, your children. You have to make sure you understand the challenge you're having. Secondly, you need to understand financially how it affects you because when you're campaigning, it's hard to be out there working a full-time job. You know, there's Mm -hmm. lots of things that go on. When you're campaigning, if you're a mother, there are things you're going to miss with your child because you're going to be out doing this. So it is a very, very tough thing. And one of the things that I'm proud that I've started to tell women, I said, if you're ready to run for office, I will help mentor you. I'm not going to discourage you, but I'm not going to lie to you. And I think that's important because we see, and I've met women who get into politics who run for office and have decided they're not running. And mm-hmm. it's a tough thing. It's not easy. There's a reason why it's so hard to do, but it's also so amazingly gratifying to be able to be and do things and see the change. Just as hard as it is, it's also a very great opportunity. If you have a desire to do it, I tell this all the time, if, you, if there's something in you that calls you to do this, and it is really, you know, something you get so fired up about. I said, you should follow that because one of the one things, and I do, I meet women all the time, we're scared. Women are scared to take that leap. I always give this amazing story. My husband's a great guy. He's been married now 17 years. When I met him, he wasn't even registered to vote, okay? He was just a, he was a young guy who was voting, you know, what was voting? And when I met him, I got him registered to vote, and I got him very active, and he started volunteering with me in campaigns. And a couple of years after we were married, some political leadership said to meet with them, and we did. And they wanted my husband to run for office. Now, keep in mind, I've been the one who's been active since 1996. I've worked on numerous campaigns. I was working for a U.S. senator. 
and political leadership came and said, we think your husband would be a great elected official. And sadly, I, because of how insecure we are as women and because we put everyone first, I was like, yeah, yeah, that would be a great idea. I said, I'll run your campaign. I'll be your chief of staff. You're going to be great. We're going to get all these things done. And my husband looked at me and he said, why are you putting your dream on me? I didn't think that I could do it, you know. And when I told this in one of my stories, a couple women said, I work on a lot of campaigns. And I said, stop working on other campaigns. Work on your campaign. You can do it. You're going to make me cry. That is powerful because that is so many women. um, Absolutely. Who just do the background work and never, ever. And it's not just individual insecurities. It's kind of structured sometimes to make you feel like your role is in the background. You're a support player. You're not to be center stage. And for your husband to say, no, this is yours. Yeah. Oh, wow. That, That is something that we do a lot of naturally. And the saddest part of that story is that I was all gung-ho. I was like, yeah, yeah. I never thought, wow, what about me? And my husband said, you live your dream. You know, don't put your dream on me. And that's the thing is that men are encouraged to run. Women are encouraged to help. And that is in a lot of leadership roles. We're not just talking politics and business and so forth. It's like yesterday was equal pay day around the country, around the world. And you look at how we still don't make as much money, but yet we're higher in population. There is just something wrong. And I think us as women, we're finally standing up and saying, we do deserve to be here. This is our time. And we're seeing it. I mean, look at us. You've been involved in politics for over 20 years now. I'm wondering, Mm -hmm. do you see the funding and support changing at all? I mean, I think maybe every eight-year cycle that seems to change, it feels like after 2016 things took another shift, but with organizations like Emily's List are supposed to help with campaigns and help kind of select women in different places around the country who may be good candidates for office. Do you find that there's more funding or support? Like, you offered mentorship, but I'm wondering, did anyone offer you mentorship when you said you were interested in running for an office? or was it kind of figure it out as you go along? I had, you know, I'm not going to try to mask this, but I had helped and worked on a lot of campaigns. So I knew the infrastructure that I needed to do to run for office. I knew I needed to raise money. I knew I needed to identify voters. I knew I needed to identify what we call super voters, which are not people that are registered, but people who actually turn out. I knew how to do some of the basics from working for so many people over my career. But sadly, I did not get the support that I felt I should have because I was pretty much told that I was not quite the fit of what they thought the elected person from my position would be. And there is a a woman's group in town that I was very disappointed that decided not to support me in my primary election because they didn't think I had a chance of winning. And this is very important because you need to let people know, don't allow people to make your future and decide where you are and what you'll accomplish because they will. They will try to – they'll come and tell you, well, the numbers don't look like you can win this race, so we're just going to stay out of it. And you know who you are. And a lot of times organizations still, I believe, have trouble with minority women too. I don't want to say they're racist, but a perfect example is a good friend of mine, Geraldine Thompson. She is a state representative, and she was basically told there's no way an African-American woman – can win in the Windermere area. Yeah. One, it's a Republican seat. Two, it's a majority Caucasian area, and we just don't think you can win that seat. And she won. She won her primary against two 
Caucasian women, and then she won her general election against an incumbent Republican man. So she and I always chat because what happened to her happened to me. They, I kind of got the same same response. Well, we just don't think you can win your race. I was in a race with six men. I was the only woman, and they thought that I couldn't win. And I won my primary, and then I won my general election by over 10,000 more votes than my um, runoff. Yeah, it's surprising that you were told you couldn't win in the district that you were born and raised in. Like you, like how if you can't win at home in an area and neighborhoods that you know so well, that there's no confidence or in your ability when you know your community at that level. I just, it's so disheartening to hear. It is. It is very disheartening. It was very hard to accept. Um, when that happened, I was very hurt. This is a women's organization here in Florida that I had supported financially, that I had supported in presence and being there and being active. And yeah. to get that response from them was very hurtful. And I tell you what, when I won my primary, they were not the first person to call when I when I won. Matter of fact, they called me wanting to help me. Well, of course, once I had made it through the hard part, they were right. like, we're ready to be behind you. And I said, that's fine. And I didn't pursue it because we have to stand up for ourselves. And I'm not going to lie, I needed I needed the money that they were offering to now support me with. But I also knew who I was and what I had done to get there. And right. I remind them that it wasn't them. Now, they have successfully helped other women get elected in the state of Florida. But there were about five or six women like myself we met recently at a conference that were not on their support list in the primary. And they kind of didn't have a choice in the general election. You know, like once we win the primary, it really looks bad if you don't support us. But in the primary, there were about five or six of us. Senator Thompson was one of them. That they told us, no, we didn't think we could win and they didn't think we were worth the financial investment. It's so tricky in politics, especially, you know, after a campaign and after all of the sort of debates and the support or lack of support. Once it's over and you're the victor, you have to then put it all aside and get to work. It's just one of those things. But there are these lessons that can't be forgotten because the next person has to face this as well, right? And I think it's great that you're on the other side of it successfully, but you're aware still that there are people who still need to hear this because if you're facing it and you don't have, and you know, a lot of minor, they don't, minorities don't have a first-generation people, as I am one as well, who don't have the experience or the network to know the rules of the game. You're kind of learning as you go a lot of the time. So it's really that mentorship piece is important. I'm wondering, you know, as you said, you had worked on campaigns before. Is there a resource or are there resources that exist that you would point someone in the direction of who may be interested in either volunteering or specifically also running for office? Like if if you didn't know how to run a campaign and you thought, I know this issue very well and I want to be more active and I want to take it to the next level and run for an office in my local community, is there a resource available if you don't have volunteers? Anybody who listens and has a desire to run for office, get involved in a political campaign, first and foremost, okay, because you really need to know a little bit of a foundation of what to expect, what's involved, how much is committed, because there is a huge financial part of it. Not necessarily it's your money. You have to raise money. There is a huge part of identifying voters and how you win. There's a plan on how you win. There are different levels of it. You can't just show up and say, how do you run? Because how do you get to the voters? How do you know who the voters are? How much is it going to cost you? How do you mail literature? What is your message? What are you going to say? Why are you running? Anybody who's encouraged or has a desire or feels a calling really should step in and see how a campaign flows. And I will tell you, it is very exciting to get on national campaigns. Let me tell you, working on the presidential campaign was awesome. 
You know, mm-hmm. it, it was, I call it, it was the most attractive, sexy part of politics because everybody wants to know <laughs> who your president is, right? Yeah. And everybody wants to meet him. And I mean, like when I met President Obama, I mean, what an amazing, like, he was like, wow, he's a rock star. But the true heart of politics is a state house representative, a school board member, a county commissioner like myself, something local where it's not sexy, where it's hard work, where it's a strong message where it's directly meeting the voters because you're never going to be on TV like these big campaigns. You're going to have to figure out, I always called it when we started our campaign, how many votes do I need to win? And that's really the question. And see, on the national level, it's electoral votes and congressional races. Those are all exciting and huge and multi-million dollar campaigns. But your county commission race is your $50,000, $60,000 race. I have a friend of mine, she lost by 188 votes. I have another friend of mine who won by 67 votes. So it comes down when you talk about every vote counts, that's where it is. And so when you get involved in a local race, one, you get more time with the candidates. You really get to see what's going on on big races, congressional, senate, you know, governors. You're lucky if you even get to meet the elected officials they come to town. You know, you're part of a huge team. But when you're involved in a small race, you get to see the day-to-day. You get to be in those meetings when they're figuring out where they're going next or those events or what's the next plan or what do you think about this mail piece that we're getting the mail out. And you really get to see if this is your calling because it's not very sexy on the low level. It really isn't. But you learn so much. I saw on your the website or if it was something posted by UCF that there was an opportunity for students to volunteer for your campaign. And I thought that was really amazing, even if you're not interested in running for office, but for people, especially in like public administration or political science, people who are interested in or nonprofit management who are interested in this kind of work, the idea that you can be involved and learn at a local level is so appealing. There is so much to be learned, even if you don't plan to run for office, but as you just said, you really can learn about this person who's running and how your community functions and learn it from the inside out, as opposed to just somebody who you're responding to as a, as a nonprofit or a citizen with an issue. Oh, yeah, and my intern who started in my primary ACF ended up working with me because, her, you know, her internship ended, but she stayed on board, worked with me all through the primary, then through the general, and now she works for me at the county. That's amazing. So, yeah, so, you know, because you, you meet great people, and I'm excited for her, even though she's she's actually working on her master's, so she graduated with her bachelor's. She's working on her master's, so she works part-time for me, but in her degrees in public administration, and she loves seeing how government works. This is what she wanted, so hands-on. But I'm a firm believer, I will tell you, Sheena, and anybody I meet, and I express it to you and any of your listeners, if you have a desire, if you want to see this, if you want to shadow it, if you want to wonder, I'm here for you because I didn't necessarily have that door, and who knows, I probably could have run for office 10 years ago. But I go back to everything happens for a reason. I was ready now to be a county commissioner, personally, professionally, everything. But I didn't really have that person who opened the door for me. I didn't have that person who made sure that I kind of got to learn and see this. Now, I got involved. I supported people. I worked on campaigns. But when I tell you that story about what they did with my husband, I didn't have someone telling me, we're going to get you ready to run for office. And I had to make that decision. Now, you, you, I, will, I won't say that because there are people who are like, wow, you'd be great elected official. You should run for office. But that's like saying, yeah, you should be a rock star. You know, it's, it's easy to say. You should be famous. You should be. But people who really want to help you get to where you want to be. 
That's generous because, you know, there are, even 10 years ago, there weren't many minorities that you could really look at to say, this is something that I could do. This is feasible for me. Leadership did not look as diverse as the community. It's a very diverse community, but that's not how leadership always looked and the officials always looked. So for you, it's very inspiring to younger women to say, not necessarily I want to run for office, but I see a face that looks like mine in this position, and I now feel comfortable engaging it. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a feeling of being welcome. Mm-hmm. That I think you take it for granted if you always feel like you're the norm. <laughs> you know, if yeah. you're kind of a minority or in a marginalized group, you do, it's that feeling of comfort. And I think it means a lot to have representation. And I've never seen it be as inclusive as it is now. But just to pivot for a little bit, because I want to talk about uh, your charity work. And I'll list off a couple of names. You mentioned some of them, but Catholic Charities, Christian Service Center, Healthy Start, Boot Camp for New Dads. And you've been working in Central Florida, as you said, nonprofits for years. I wanted to ask you, because you had a lot of amazing insights when you were giving feedback on different things at the nonprofit conversation. And one thing that you said that stuck with me was when you're defining a nonprofit or you're in the process of it, you end up finding out as you're doing the work, for instance, that you want to feed the homeless. But as you're feeding Mm -hmm. the homeless, the mission expands because there are other correlating issues. And so the idea of defining your organization and when you're building something like that, being broad enough to encompass the different projects and works that may come as a part of it. And that's a conversation and a a comment based on wisdom. And so I'm wondering if you wanted to share just a couple of things that you've learned along the way working in nonprofits for so many years as a volunteer and as somebody who's been a part of leadership in nonprofits for people who are either volunteering and or thinking about starting a nonprofit. Like I said that day, it's easy to say, I want to help the homeless or I want to feed the homeless. When I was trying to refer to people, like, don't limit your nonprofit when you do your paperwork either, because you don't know what will evolve when you do this. One of the things I learned, you got to imagine, I've been working in nonprofit for almost my whole life. That is it's something I'm passionate about. And the reason why I said that is because everything's not always done the same way. You think of, well, I want to help the homeless, so I'll just feed them. Well, there's more to just feeding them. Do they need help with housing? Do they need help with mental health illness? Do they have an addiction? There's so many layers that fall under so many nonprofits, and the need can be different for different people. And for us, and um, my husband and I are very, very passionate about the homeless issues because I hate to hear about children who are hungry. Children are always, a by, not a bystander, but they get the effects of what happens by what happens or what decisions an adult makes. And those decisions could be a decision they make rightfully or those decisions could be based on because they do have mental health issues or because they have an addiction or they just fell on hard times or immigrant children who parents decided to come to this country and don't have legal documents. And the children are a basis of what's happened because of that adult who brought them into this space. And so I get very, very, children are a big passion of mine. That's most of my nonprofit that I've worked with. And then when I've worked in Catholic Charities and Christian Service Center, it's been with the basis of families and children because children don't deserve to suffer the way they do. And a child should never be hungry. And so my passion is how do I help that child? And something I'm working on as a commissioner right now that is just one scope is literacy, literacy with children trying to make sure our children don't fall into a hole of if they're not literacy, you know, at the stage they need to be, how that can impact their future. Not that it'll make them homeless, but 
Does it make them fall on the line of where they are at their educational level? Does it make them fall on the line of what their future holds? Does it set a foundation for when they become adults if they're behind already? So there's different facets to what you can do to help people depending how you feel that your impact can be the best because there are a lot of places in Orlando where you can go and get food, but that's not curing the homeless problem. That's just a Band-Aid. That's just a moment. And I think that there are a lot of great people that feed, so I'm not going to discard them because you need those people. But I like to look more at how do we help solve the problem, and that's, you know, housing and assistance and all of those things that fall into it. So when you're looking, say, back in your, you know, when you're just volunteering and go back maybe 20 years, back in the 90s, when you're looking for a nonprofit to volunteer for, it probably is easier actually thinking about it because you can look online now and look at their website, social media, and kind of get a sense of the work that's being done. But if you don't have experience in volunteering and you're thinking about it because you found your issue, what are maybe one or two things for new volunteers? These are people who have not been formally kind of engaged in this kind of work before. What are a couple of things would you tell them to keep in mind or to look out for as they decide on um, getting invested and really especially committing financially to an organization? One, do your homework on that nonprofit. Believe me that I don't have anything against any nonprofit. But you have to figure out what your passion is. Is your passion feeding someone? Is your passion helping someone? Because there are one of the things I've learned in nonprofits is that there's these huge nonprofits that do a lot, but they don't actually do any direct services. Mm -hmm. And that's something that really I have learned in nonprofit that frustrates me because they get the most money yeah. and they have the least amount of direct impact on people. Yeah. And then there'll be a small food pantry in the back of a church that are feeding hundreds of people every week. So you've got to do some homework because just like diamonds are beautiful to look at, the rocks are hard to, and the diamonds are always going to look pretty. But how impactful are you in the whole landscape of what, what it looks like? That is a painful lesson, but that's such a great piece of advice because in the last, I would say, three years or so, since 2016, there's been like an uptick in volunteerism and especially young people wanting to be involved and find their way civically. And so a lot of organizations, I don't know if this is your experience of what you've heard in Central Florida, but a lot of the new people who are joining organizations, they're wanting to do something. Like there's a meeting and then they're like, okay, so what do I do next? Or what are we going to do tomorrow? Or, or what's the next action thing? And that's not really how some nonprofits are set up. They're not direct service. So right. for people who are not accustomed to that, they joined in order to have a direct impact, but they don't know the difference between those two types of nonprofits. One is going to have conversation maybe and maybe fund an event or two a year, and others are weekly active. So I know one nonprofit, a large nonprofit here locally, has to create a committee for new members called the I don't know if it's the active committee or something, but it's one of those things, or action committee, because they had so many new volunteers who really just joined because of, you know, current events and the political climate. They want to feel as though they're doing something. So, for instance, I care about immigration. I don't necessarily want to meet with other people every week and talk about immigration. I want to talk about what are we doing to help people in this community on the margins who are impacted right. by that, those policies. So that's a very big difference, and it can take you a long time to figure out the difference of organizations. Like, are you a part of a direct action kind of a nonprofit? or is that not really the goal of the org that you're funding? You can easily get caught up in those. And then also, some of these nonprofits, I will tell you, they've gotten smart enough that they will um, they will actually have volunteers do little things to kind of keep them engaged, but their mission is a lot bigger than that, and it's not always what you really 
want to see happen in the long run. And that's why I say uh-huh. do your homework. Do your homework about your nonprofit. And especially with issues like immigration, you can get caught up in things so much and sadly learn in the end there was a lawyer and organization and finances at the end of it that they were encouraging to, to acquire and use the nonprofit to do it. There's a lot of things in that industry because there's a fear and lack of knowledge when it comes to immigration and, and it feeds. I, I did a lot of working on immigration with the senator's office, so I learned yeah. that. So before we head out and close out today, I want to, I have to talk about your radio show. Because when I came up to you and I invited you to come on the show, you're like, oh, I, I have a radio show. Yes, the N580 Orlando that you co-host. I believe it's the Kevin Sutton show. And I just want to hear about it. I think that's the neatest thing. I love people being in podcasting and radio. So how did you get started in it? And what's your theme? And how long have you been doing it? You'll love this. So the way I got started in radio is after my last election, I had been doing a lot of TV interviews and Spanish TV. And one of the general managers for ESPN uh, Deportes, which is the Spanish version of ESPN, called me and said, I'd love to meet with you. You know, he called me a couple of weeks after the election, after the loss had settled in, and I came to see him. Because I tell you, I tell this to people all the time, and business and nonprofit, whatever you do, don't turn down a meeting because you never know what will happen. And I am not a sports buff. I was never really into sports. You know, I'll watch the, the Super Bowl and I'll watch this and there. But, you know, I'm not a season ticket holder. I couldn't name you the whole roster of the Orlando Magic. But I said, you know, I'm going to go. I'm going to go meet this guy. He called me. Let's go meet him. And um, he was like, look, you have this way. You have this dynamicness. How would you like to work for ESPN Deportes? and doing our public relations. And I, I listened to him and I said, you know, I appreciate the opportunity, but it, it's really not what I'm looking to do in my career next. And we had a great conversation. And at the time, my husband was in action sports. He was a professional wakeboarder. And my husband's a comedian also. He's funny. And um, he was the only African-American at the time competing in, in that sport. It's mostly a Caucasian sport. It just is what it is. He said, wow. I said, you know, and the guy was telling me, he's like, I'm trying to expand. I want to go into action sports. I said, great. You should meet my husband. He said, fantastic. And still, I had no idea of going into radio. I come up, set up a meeting. He loves my husband. He offered my husband a weekly show on Saturday. And I helped him plan the show. And, again, this is our role of helping people. You know, I'm in the back, getting it all done, getting him sponsors, getting things moving, doing his press release. And I said, you really should do, like, a group of people because it's hard to do radio by yourself. It's one-on-one. You should have, like, you know, Kevin in the team or whatever. I said, you should get a female to be a part of your team. And we had asked a woman that he knew who liked doing radio to be on the show. Well, she was a no-show on the first day that we, we went on the air. And oh, no. so I had to fill in. So here I was filling in, just being a little sarcastic and, and being just a woman. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I got amazing feedback from the station. The station was like, we didn't know you were going to be on the show. You were great. Well, you know, you should stay on the show. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. And I was just a fill-in for the first time. No, no, no. We have another person who we committed the role to. And she finally said, I can't do it. I, I just, I, it's my, my, you know, my life and what I've got going on. I just can't make the time. Well, so... By de facto, I became the lady's point of view on the radio show. And <laughs> seven years later, I was the lady's point of view. There were two other guys on the show, well, three total. And we kept expanding. We became the number one weekend show. Then um, iHeartRadio came to us and said, we'd love for you to come and be on our station. So we moved to 740 The Game for a couple of years. And they put us on three days a week during the week. And then Cox Radio, who's ESPN, said, you guys are fantastic. We'd love to give you five days a week. And so we went to Cox Radio and did five days a week. And you who do radio know it's a very grueling. If you're ready, prep, you know, all of these things, we do radio. 
and we did it off of my campaign, and we've done it now. But now, honestly, it's like we've been there and done it. We're kind of mm-hmm. rolling back a little, doing so much radio because I have a lot of commitments in the evening, and, and we're expanding. You know, I'm working a nonprofit along with my county commission role, and so we're now going to probably go down to a couple days a week just because it takes a lot. You know, it, it takes a lot of work. It's, it's definitely a career when you hear about these people, but I love it. And I'm actually looking about doing more of a woman empowerment podcast because now I've caught the buck. That is something that I um, I have someone who's approached me who wants to do it for me. And I said, look, I'll help you do it. You just kind of be the voice. And so I will probably be rolling that out by the, before the summer. So Please let me know because I started the conversation and I knew it. I knew you were a kindred spirit. I knew it from your answer. <laughs> but it's the, it's the willingness to share, to be honest, the willingness to be vulnerable and say this is what my experience was and hopes of helping somebody else but really genuine place. And I think the experience you have, especially in nonprofit and now as a political official, it's exactly what's needed, that voice that's also relatable to a diverse group of women who haven't really had that. Like, it's really great to have insider baseball from somebody who's done it for so long and sustain themselves because this work, whether you're volunteering or you're an elected official or you're, you know, working as a public administrator in some capacity, you see a lot. And it can be very – it's important work. It's, it's amazing work. And you have those wins that make you feel very excited. But the political climate that changes, it feels like, every couple of years, you know, with the recession, all these things, you know, and still being inspired, that's very challenging. And I always tell people it's easy to play it safe. You know, it is so easy to play it safe. As women, we're kind of almost encouraged to be complacent and just take what we get. And but we actually are amazing. Women are amazing. We are mothers. We're workers. We, you know, we support other people. We are really a rock for so many people. But we should never allow that flame and that fire in us to be diminished and never be accepted. And anyone I meet, whether it's in sports whether it's in politics, whether it's in nonprofit, whether it's just whatever you do, I encourage it. I'm like, look, I was able to do it, and I did it with this, this, and this. Anything is possible if you really want it. And what do you need to push you to make you get there? What do you need to help you feel that confidence to take that step as much as I can? And I do this with my own daughter. I always tell her, I said, my mom did this to me, and my mom came up in a time when women couldn't even get, you know, a mortgage on their own without a man. And my mom always told me, she used to say, Myra, whatever you want to do, you can do. Whatever you want to do. And I firmly believe that my whole life. And I can't be the person I am right now if my mom didn't instill that courage in me. And it took me a while to get here, but I'm here. And that's the ultimate place where you arrive and hopefully where you find happiness. Because people used to always tell me, be careful what you wish for, be careful what you wish for. You know, you're trying to run for office, you may hate it. And I wake up every morning just thrilled to see what I can do today. And that's when you know you've found your place.